0: The following talk is from St. Michael's Folwell, a gospel-centered community for Folwell Teddington and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfullwell.co.uk. Well, do pick up a Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians, page 1145, 1145. Uh, one Corinthians, we're going to have our reading from 1 Corinthians chapter two verses one to five, and Lily is going to come and read that for us. So page 1145, 1 Corinthians two uh, verses one to five reading, and then I'll be able to Simon.: And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wis- wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in my weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not my wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. You know when a reading starts, um, and so it was with me that something's been talked about just before that. So we'll get to what that was as we look into it. Um, I've got a little handout to go around. If I could pass uh, some to that side and some to this side. Thank you. Um, That was a small pile, so if that needs to be readjusted, um, that was my mistake. And um, as we turn to this passage and look at it together, I'm going to pray that we understand more what it means to trust in Christ and him crucified. We've been thinking about the cross of Christ all evening, looking at different aspects of it. And in the middle of this passage, that that really striking line, Paul's saying, I resolve to know nothing amongst you except Christ and him crucified. It's a big thing to say, isn't it? Um, So as the handouts go round, let me pray for us. God, our Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for its truth and its power. Thank you so much that as we look at the Bible, as we try to understand it, you are with us by your spirit, that you can open our hearts and our lives to all that it means and all that it should entail for us. So please be doing that as we look at it now. In Jesus' name, amen. This evening, um, I want to uh, give you some ideas of where you could go to church if you get a bit fed up with St. Michael's. Um, One day you might get a bit bored or disillusioned with things here. Uh, You might decide it's not big enough or impressive enough. Um, The preaching's just not funny enough or intellectual enough. Uh, The band does a great job. Maybe they're not loud enough for you maybe the wrong instruments for you, maybe uh, the people here are just, I don't know, just not attractive enough, just not cool enough. I don't know if any of you are thinking that way. So you might think at some point, I want to find a more impressive church. I want to be part of a more impressive church. I'm here to help. Um, so here are some ideas. Um, We've got a few people here, quite quite a good number come on Sunday, but um, there are lots of churches out there who have more people, bigger numbers. Here in London, I looked this up, it's hard to find sort of very up-to-date stats, but All Souls Langham Place has about 2,500, HCB has about 4,500, Kensington Temple has about 7,000, but the Kingsway International Christian Centre has 12,000, so if you want to go really large in the UK, but... If you really want to go big and still have an English, English-speaking service, you can have massive churches in, in uh, South Korea, but if you really want to go big, you should go here. Let's have a little picture. Um, you should go to Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas, because apparently in multiple services in that building, they have about 45,000 people through the door on a Sunday. So if you want to go large, that's where you want to go. Um, Joel Osteen, the pastor, has much better hair than me or Ed, and much, much brighter teeth. Um, But maybe um, you think, I would like to have, more than anything else, a really well-published author as my pastor. What have Ed and Simon ever published? I mean, come on, you could go to some of the commission churches and people have published books. If you really want to go impressive, though, you probably want to have this guy. Uh, Rick Warren, uh, his book, The Purpose Driven Life, is the best-selling Christian book by a living author. It has sold uh, more than 50 million copies, um, so that would be a good place to go if you're looking for that kind of impressive stuff. What about the most um, listened-to pastor online? That's quite a big deal these days. For a few years, that was this guy, um, Mark Driscoll. Um, sadly, that all came to an end. He was actually deposed from the church he was leading for um, a sort of aggressive power play in his leadership and for trying to manipulate sales of his books. Um, but maybe you warm to that kind of ambition. I don't know. Um, what about the education of your pastors? Um, Ed and I have a couple of degrees each, um, but if you want serious academic credentials, I looked it up. I would go with this guy, um, Johnson Funso Udasola, a pastor in Nigeria, um, I reckon he's the pastor I found with the most degrees. Apparently, he has three bachelor degrees, a postgrad diploma, two master's degrees, and six PhDs. And he's written seventy books, and produced, written, and starred in several movies. So I'm afraid to say, in terms of impressiveness, there is no way that we are currently competing on those particular. Scales with those ministries. Now, some of those churches I've mentioned are great ministries. Uh, Some are less good. Um, We're not going to go into any of that tonight. Um, But by various metrics, they are all impressive looking. Having said all of that, now look down at your Bible. And let's start with the last verse from last week's chapter, the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So we're page 1145. Have a look at 1 Corinthians 1, 31. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's where chapter 1 has ended. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You might know if you've been here these last few weeks, that's something the Corinthian church really needed to hear. Um, they thought of themselves as very special, uh, very capable, really impressive, very spiritual, very gifted. You get that all the way through the letter. They, they argued with each other about which leaders were the most impressive Christian leaders with the most impressive international ministries. Some said it was Paul the Apostle who was writing this letter. Uh, some said Peter the Apostle. Some said another guy called Apollos, who we're told in Acts was a really excellent speaker. Um, maybe, maybe you remember that debate that they were having from, from chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago. So, in our passage, Paul sets them straight and says to them, What on earth are you talking about? How on earth could you even debate who the greatest church leader is? Obviously, he says in these verses, It's me. Obviously. How could you say Peter's better than me? What, is he funnier than me? How could you say Apollos? What, is he cleverer than me? Come on. I was the one chosen by Jesus to be the apostle to the whole world outside Judea. Who came to Corinth and founded your church? That was me. Who's writing more books for the New Testament than any other leader? That's me, Paul could have said. Because all of those things are true. He had the credentials. <laughs> but look what he actually says. Let's pick it up with that last verse of chapter 1 again. He says, Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. What Paul actually says is, I didn't come to impress you. I didn't want you to go away thinking, Paul's a really amazing guy. I wanted to point you to God, Paul is saying. He came with a message from God, the testimony from God that he talks about in that verse. It was his responsibility to pass on that message faithfully. Do you remember when we started the letter, we were talking about what it meant for Paul to be an apostle? It means sent one, like an ambassador, an envoy. His responsibility was to be faithful, to pass on what Jesus had said, not to um, point to himself or creatively come up with something new and different, but to pass on this testimony about God. Paul's job wasn't being funny or clever. It wasn't being ultimately creative or, or deeply philosophical. It was pointing to Jesus. Now, the funny thing is, we know from Paul's letters that he was very clever, that he could write brilliantly, that his communication style was was fantastic. He was very eloquent. He could write in a very sophisticated way. He could be funny. He does all of that in this letter. So why is he saying that he didn't come with those things? Here's what I think He means, you don't accept the gospel and become a Christian because the speaker is clever and you're really impressed by their skills of rhetoric. You accept the gospel and become a Christian because you see that the gospel of Jesus coming and dying for your sins is true and wonderful. Paul's saying, come on, Corinthians, when I came to you, You didn't react by going, wow, Paul's amazing. Let's follow him. You thought, wow, Jesus is wonderful. Let's trust in him. Paul says, I didn't want to wow you with myself. I wanted to wow you with Jesus. St. Michael's, when you come to church, we don't want you to spend your time thinking, wow, Ed is a... An eloquent and persuasive speaker. Wow, Bunyan's jokes are just top notch. Wow, Toby just captures us with his music. That's great if those things might be a bit true. But what we really want to do through those things is point you to Jesus. It's fine, actually, if you forget about us, if we just disappear. We don't want you to be thinking on on Monday, oh, you know, the particular person who preached on Sunday was amazing. We want you to think, I love Jesus more as a result of going to church. That's the outcome we we long to see. In fact, Paul himself didn't feel impressive at all. Have a look at verse 3. He actually felt weak. So all of this, we're we're sort of talking under that heading on your handout that says weak preachers, question mark. Paul felt very weak in verse 3. I came to you, he says, in weakness with great fear and trembling. I don't know what mental picture you've got of the Apostle Paul in your head. I think we sometimes think of him as this incredibly unusually confident person who's bold and forthright and just strides around the world proclaiming and not caring what anyone thinks and teaching with great ability and great boldness. We don't often think of him feeling weak or vulnerable or inadequate to the task. But he did, very, very much so. He went to Corinth with weakness and trembling. History actually tells us, if you read what some of the early Christians said about Paul... They said he was a rather short, balding man with bad eyesight. Uh, his name, Paul, does anyone know what Paul means? It means small. Um, we know from uh, 2 Corinthians that people sometimes said things like this about him. I can see it on the screen, I think. Um, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive, and his speaking amounts to nothing. That's what some people were saying about the Apostle Paul. Paul the Small. All that unimpressive, came to the great city of Corinth. And it was great. It was a big port city with big population from around the world with wealth and status. And he felt weak and inadequate. And God had called him to this great task of proclaiming Jesus to the whole world as far as he could get. And he was doing it. But it made him afraid. And it made him tremble. And he felt very weak. What about you, I find that incredibly reassuring. <laughs> Everyone's different. Everyone has different feelings and different insecurities. I, for one, tend to be very aware of my weaknesses and inadequacies, um, perhaps especially when I'm preparing to, to preach a sermon. There's this timeless, God-given message that is for the world. And it's been entrusted to me by the all powerful God of all creation. And He's put me in this role where it's my job to to try and understand it and convey it. And I can feel so feeble by contrast to this eternal gospel message. And Paul reassures me here it's all right to feel like that. It's okay to feel like that. Actually, maybe it's even good to feel like that. Because if I were to start feeling too good about myself and too self-satisfied and too impressed with myself, I might start wanting you to be impressed with me. But what I really want in my best moments (laughs) is for you to be impressed with Jesus, for you to love Jesus. I don't care in my best moments whether you remember who preached and whether it was any good. Do you remember last week in um, chapter 1, verse 27? Uh, We can see this up on the screen, I think. Um, This is part of what uh, James Bunyan preached last week. Paul says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not To nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. In many ways, it is better if a church leader feels weak and foolish and lowly, rather than feeling strong and wise and important. Because then we'll boast in the Lord and not in ourselves. Now, look, we've got to put all this together with other stuff in the Bible. Um, the Bible talks about God giving gifts, including gifts of preaching and teaching. It's good to recognize those gifts. It's good to encourage them. It's good to grow in them, to fan them into flame. We, we do work hard here at St. Michael's to try and uh, find good ways to communicate, to uh, use helpful illustrations and visuals and stories and all that sort of thing in order to hopefully try and illustrate and, and, and connect us in with God's word. We work as hard as we can, hopefully, to do that. In fact, I wouldn't recommend choosing a church because it has the worst preacher. You know, you go out there and you find the one that is the dullest, who can't string a sentence together or speak with any kind of logic, and you think, that's the best church because that's going to be the humblest preacher. Um, That's not better than a, a good preacher who conveys God's word well. But don't Choose a church. If, if you're in a position at some point to choose a church, if you move or something like that, don't choose a church where the preachers are self-satisfied and proud, who like to impress or control or entertain people with their cleverness. Sometimes putting cleverness on display is just not helpful in getting a message across. Imagine if somebody was told to run in here and tell us all that there was a fire and we need to get out. And this person, uh, on the way in here, thinks, aha, this is my chance to shine, my chance to impress. And they sort of get up to the front and get our attention, and they start saying, ladies and gentlemen, unaccustomed as I am to public speaking, um, and they start to regale us with all sorts of stories and jokes about fire and fire alarms. I'm mean, what, what are they getting to? Um, That's just not helpful. They need to run in and say, there's a fire. Everybody leave calmly. Don't go just for displays of cleverness. Go for a preacher that longs to point to Jesus and not to themselves. Because there's another side to all of this in this passage. The preacher may feel weak and may be weak and maybe should feel weak. But alongside the weak preacher, there is a powerful God at work, and we see God's power in this little passage in two ways: the cross and the Holy Spirit. Um, for the cross, look at what Paul says in verse two. He says, "For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified." So the very center of Paul's message, the thing that was most important, the thing that held everything else together, was the cross of Jesus. The one thing that really mattered above everything else was Christ and him crucified. You can sum up the whole of Christianity in that one phrase, Christ and him crucified. Is that clear in your mind as we look at this? That the cross of Christ is the single most important part of the Christian message, perhaps along with his resurrection from the dead. That is the one thing that we need to to know about and and receive and understand and live out the most. This is what Paul says about it later on in the letter, in um, chapter 15, I think we can hopefully see that, where he says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised. If you want to know what is most important in all of the Bible, in all of Christianity, it is that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead. Now, what does that have to do with God's power? Maybe you remember this from last week. This is um, chapter 1, verse 18. Paul said the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So, the cross of Christ is the power of God at the cross. You see God's power to save, to rescue us from our sins. Um, Bunyan said in last week's sermon that maybe you sometimes feel as if we talk about the cross a lot. Well, we should. <laughs> even if it was the only thing that we ever talk about, we'd still be blessed week by week by week by week as we pointed again and again and again to Jesus on the cross. We've been thinking about the cross all evening, some of the incredible things that God did on the cross. Justification, justifying us, declaring us innocent despite our sins. Um, We've sung so much about Uh, the cross tonight. Uh, Lots of beautiful things that God accomplished on the cross. I want to um, think about it a slightly different way and show us how, how the cross answers some of the massive questions that we might have. So imagine you're going through life and you're thinking, I'm not sure if God really loves me. Well, look at the cross and what do you see? You see God, because he loved you so much, stepping into history, giving his life in the person of his son for you. We can't doubt that God loves us if we've seen what he's done for us by sending Jesus to die on the cross. What if you are going through some really hard times and you think, I feel as if God just, he he feels distant and as if he doesn't understand my suffering. Look at the cross. What do you see? You see a God who is not distant anymore, who stepped into our world who allowed himself to be brutally persecuted and executed and died a horrific death. And one of the reasons he did that is so that he, we could never again say he doesn't understand our suffering. He really does. Not just from a distance, but because he's been there with us. What if you're going through life and you think, oh, it doesn't really matter how I live. I mean... Sin, not that serious, is it? Well, look at the cross and what do you see? How serious is sin? It is so serious that it took the death of Jesus to win forgiveness for us. What if you think to yourself, I just, oh, I just feel really put off Christianity by the hypocrisy and power abuse that I see in churches. Look at the cross and what do you see? You, you see the eternal power of the Creator being used in the most self-giving way imaginable. That is where all the horrible power play of humanity is completely turned upside down. And you see that Jesus is so unlike those people who've called themselves Christians and abused power. Maybe you're just looking into Christianity and you think, if God exists, I, I don't know. I don't know. What he's like. What's his character? I don't, I don't know what he's like. Well, look at the cross. What do you see? You look at the cross and you see a God who has come with such compassion and such mercy for those who desperately needed rescue. That is what God is like. That is where to look to see the biggest display of God's character. What if you think, I'm not sure if God really forgives me? Well, look at the cross and what do you see? You see that Your forgiveness has been accomplished by the death of Jesus already, if you're trusting in him. And God is not going to go back on that. If he's already given his son for you, he's not going to say, oh, I didn't mean it. (laughs) You're not forgiven after all. It's done. It is finished, as Jesus said on the cross. What if you say to yourself, I don't want to forgive this other person. Well, look at the cross and what do you see? How how much did it cost God to forgive you? How can we withhold forgiveness from others if it cost God his life to forgive us? What if you say to yourself, I thought the Christian life would be a bit easier than this. It seems like it's a real struggle. Well, look at the cross. What do you see? You see our Savior who we follow going through... Far worse torture, struggle, pain than we will ever face. We're not above him, are we? What if you think, well, God seems distant and far away. Look at the cross. What do you see? God came down to be amongst us, to live our life, to die our death. What if you think, in my darkest moments in the middle of the night, I'm scared of dying. Look at the cross. What do you see? You see a God who has given his life, died for you, so that you would never have to face eternal death, so that your death won't be the end, and it will be the beginning of eternal life. We could go on and on and on and on with the way the cross answers these deepest questions and struggles of our lives. If you ever start to feel bored of the cross, if you ever find yourself thinking, oh, again, can we move on to something else? Be careful what you wish for. Just think what you'd lose if you start leaving behind the cross. All of those things and many, many, many more. doesn't matter how weak your preacher is. If they take you to the cross, they are taking you to God's extraordinary power to save in so many ways. We could... We could stay on that point forever. But let me take us to the last bit. Um, The second aspect of God's power, the Holy Spirit. Paul says in verses four and five My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. If I'm preaching to you, which I am, in case that wasn't clear, There's nothing I can do to reach into your mind and your heart and do anything there. I can't change what you think. I can't change what you feel. That's not within my power. Only God can really do that. And the only way that um, someone can come to Jesus in the first place and become a Christian is if the Holy Spirit works in their heart and opens their heart and mind to the truth. If you're a Christian, that is part of what happened. The Holy Spirit came into your life and opened your hearts, opened your eyes so you could see, opened your heart so you could receive Jesus. And that's true as you go through the Christian life as well. The only way any of us understand anything truly in the Bible and respond to it rightly is if the Holy Spirit enables that to happen. That is why somebody can be a scholar of the Bible in a at university all their life and never really get it, never really understand it. It's only the Holy Spirit that can open our eyes. Now, some people look at verse 4 and say, uh, the demonstration of the Spirit's power. Surely this means that when we're evangelizing or when we're teaching the Bible, we should expect miracles because um, that's how the Holy Spirit persuades people. You hear the gospel and you don't believe, but then you see a miracle, so you do believe. Is that what Paul is saying here? I don't think so because of what the rest of chapter 2 says, and we're going to see that next week. Um, The Holy Spirit actually does a miracle every time we understand something in the Bible. The Holy Spirit does an incredible miracle every time somebody becomes a Christian. And the rest of chapter 2 is going to be all about that work of the Holy Spirit to reveal things to us that otherwise we wouldn't understand to help us know and receive the truth from God. So more of that next week. But how can anything good happen when you're listening to a sermon? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. What should I be praying before I preach? That I'll be very persuasive and change your hearts? I should be praying that the Holy Spirit will be at work here at St. Michael's. To open all our eyes and and change us. What could you be praying before church or before a sermon? Please, Lord, let the talk be funnier and more engaging this week, if you like. But, (laughs) um, much, much more important, pray that the Holy Spirit teaches you and opens your eyes and changes you. This is God's power at work. Um, The preacher is weak, but God is powerful. And the great thing about all of this is is who gets the glory? Not me um, as the preacher, uh, not you for listening extremely well, but God for powerfully working in us. So when I feel weak and inadequate before preaching, and I think, I don't know if I get this passage, and I don't know, I just feel a bit of a mess, what should I say to myself? Come on, Simon. You're great. Believe in yourself. You can do it. No, I shouldn't say that. But I should entrust myself in my weakness to God, who is strong. He can do it. So um, let's kind of round off, round it all off. How to choose a church or a church leader, church leader um, if uh, that is a, a decision you need to make at some point. Perhaps you're moving and you're choosing a new church lots of different factors, but from this passage, don't look for displays of impressiveness. Don't follow someone who wants to point to themselves. Don't go just for big numbers or great music or those kind of things. They can be nice to have, sure. There's nothing wrong with a really big church and really awesome pumping stereos that we might get installed soon here at Smiley. Um, But go to a church that wants to preach Christ crucified, And keep preaching Christ crucified, trusting the Holy Spirit to be at work. And if some of that makes you think, oh, I'll stay at St. Michael's after all for a bit, great, great. Um, But let's pray. Let's pray and ask for God to be powerfully at work through the cross, through the Holy Spirit amongst us. Lord our God, we want to thank you so much that the power is not with us but with you. Lord, we are all weak. We are creatures made by you. We have our weaknesses. We have our sins. And Lord, you are the one who is strong. And we thank you so much that when we open your word, this amazing book that you have given us, you are powerfully at work by your spirit. You are the hope for changed hearts and lives. And Lord, thank you that when we open the Bible, what we see is the cross, this amazing thing that looks so weak and yet is so incredibly powerful, your powerful salvation. Pray, Lord, that you would show us the cross again and again and again from its many wonderful different angles. Help us, Lord, to see how extraordinary it is that our Savior Jesus would die for us. In his name we pray.